Hi, and welcome to episode 3 of Dissecting Dexter. See, I promise I wouldn't take so long over the next one. Now, before we delve into the next episode, there's a little Season 5 Dexter news. No spoilers, but I'm happy to report that Season 5 started filming this month. I believe it was the 9th of June. It's only a small tidbit of news, but it's exciting to know that shooting for Season 5 has started. Now, this is a spoiler-free podcast, but after Season 4... I'm anticipating Season 5 just as much as I was looking forward to the final season of Lost. And for those who listen to my Gareth's Waste of Time podcast, you'll know that that was a lot. I said in the blog recently that it's exciting to know that there's new Dexter material already scripted and being filmed. I did a special Season 5 briefing podcast last week that goes into more detail about the Season 5 news that's around. But if you're not up to date with Dexter, then you'll possibly want to avoid it unless you don't mind being spoiled. In other podcast news, I'm hoping to do a proper Season 5 preview later in the summer. I've had some interest from possible guests, so hopefully we can get a good chat going with some different voices and build up the anticipation for the start of Season 5 in September. I've had a couple of feedback comments about the previous podcasts, suggesting that my recaps could do with being maybe a little less detailed with more focus on my reaction and commentary. I appreciate this. I'm, and I was from the start, I was acutely aware of, well, running the risk of droning on for too long and risking sending listeners to sleep. That's the last thing I want to do. However, I do want to do Dexter justice. And if I just recorded a podcast with pure reaction, some listeners who hadn't seen the episode for a long time might have trouble remembering what I'm referring to. I've got to bear in mind that there's probably a mix of, of people listening to this, some who are up to date and have seen right up to the latest episodes of Dexter and some who are perhaps just embarking on the Dexter journey for the first time and um, aren't fully up to date with the show. So um, there's got to be a balance. So this time I've tried to ease up on the detail just a little bit while still giving a reasonable recap, but hopefully the podcast will be a bit tighter overall and maybe a bit shorter. Let me know if you think I need to cut down more. This is... uh, well, the podcast is still still in its infancy, so um, subject to change, and uh, I welcome any feedback, criticism, or whatever, um, and we'll take everything on board, hopefully. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at dissectingdexter at gmail.com, where you could also send me an MP3 voicemail if you fancied, maybe get a different voice on the podcast and break the monotony of of my own dulcet tones. Actually... There was a bit of a stir on the Internet Movie Database where there was a thread about this podcast on the Dexter page and it turned into an argument about the British accent. I'd have preferred to hear a bit of feedback about the podcast, but there we are. It was nice to get a bit of publicity. If you want to visit the blog, go to dissectingdexter.blogspot.com where you can also submit comments and feedback for possible inclusion in the podcast, although email is probably the best method. Hey, you could even follow the podcast on Twitter at Dissect Dexter or you can follow me on my personal Twitter at Gareth underscore UK one last thing before we crack on because blimey we're three and a half minutes in already I just want to thank user LBB for their iTunes review I really appreciate them taking the time to leave a nice thoughtful review if anyone else who feels so inclined please feel free to leave a review yourself I'll even give you a little mention in the next episode hey what could be possibly a greater motive Right, enough preamble, let's get stuck in.
This is the Dissecting Dexter podcast. This time we're looking at Dexter Season 1, Episode 3, entitled Popping Cherry. Whether the title refers to someone's virginity or something else, we shall see. Original air date was the 15th of October 2006. The episode was written by Daniel Cerrone, who was also executive producer for the first three seasons of Dexter. This episode was directed by Michael Quester, who had directed the previous two episodes as well. The episode opens with Ricky Simmons' memorial service. Simmons, remember, was the undercover cop found dead, having fallen from a road bridge. He'd been working undercover in the Carlos Guerrero crime family. Dexter is there and muses about the amount of emotion at these things and how, while he has no problem with death, grief is so hard to fake. Dokes talks to some other officers and tells them that Guerrero ordered the hit, so he's going to try and nail him for something. After the service, Dexter is out in his car, driving past a prison, and he muses how, while it's over for Simmons, some people are lucky enough to get a second chance. It seems he's already done his homework and has someone singled out. Jeremy Downs walks out of the youth detention centre, a free young man, having served four years for manslaughter, being convicted as a minor. Having studied his case, Dexter recognises, in his words, a young virtuoso. It seems Jeremy lured an older boy to a park, supposedly to spot alligators, but ended up stabbing him to death. Dexter's killer instinct kicked in at the time the case was going on and recognised Jeremy for what he was. He noted the date of the release and waited. Motorbike going past there. We cut to the next day, and Dexter's gardening in the front garden and with Rita and the kids, when a rough-looking guy in a leather jacket calls Rita's name. He walks up to them with a bit of a, bit of a swagger. Paul doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> no shit, he's in jail, but, uh... See, he still owes me for two ounces of blow, which means you owe me. Don't get involved. I never know in these situations. I don't have money. You got a car? You want my car? Yeah, the key's in it. You know my dad? Well, I sure do, little man. And you want to know something? You look just like him. I'm going to tell him you said hi, okay? Look, you want, I could go in the house, throw your furniture around, make a real mess, but what kind of message would that send to the little ones? <laughs> Just give me the fucking car. Why don't you go inside and get the keys? I'll wait with our friend here. My kids, go inside. What? Think you can take me with your little red shovel? Oh my God, how did Dexter not lay this guy out? Weren't you just wishing him to do something and stand up to this dickhead? And when he took the piss out of Dexter gardening, jeez. At this point, you just hope and pray Dexter can find something on this guy that fits in with his code and he can get him on his table. That was certainly the most frustrating scene of the series so far. Rita gives the guy her car keys and off he goes. But boy, you're almost, you're almost expecting Dexter to lash out at him, but, but he didn't. Afterwards, Dexter offers to file a report so they can find him and get the car back, but Rita doesn't want any fuss. She's obviously rattled and doesn't want to invite any more trouble. She wants her husband out of her life, and if that means sacrificing her car, so be it. The next scene gives us a laugh. Batista's, B- Batista, Batista's given Dexter a murder scene photo to look at, and while he's considering it, Masuka comments on a girl who started working at the police station. I have to play the moment because it'll lose it in translation. What did they use, an axe? 
It's blood force. See the way the head's caved in? Hmm. You guys check out the Nahadi Makadas and dispatch yet? She's a butterface. <sighs> What's a butterface? You know, Compaya, she's got a hot body, but a face. How great would it be to pull a bronco on her? Yeah? Yeah? yeah. Miraki, you, you do it doggy style, right? And just when she's getting into it, you grab her by the hips and you yell another woman's name and bam! You're riding her like a bronco because she's trying to buck you off. Many times in life I feel like I'm missing some essential piece of the human puzzle. This is one of them. I love these little moments in Dexter. Masuka's such a perv, so you expect smut from him, but it was funny for Batista to join in this time. The amusement doesn't last long, though. Deb appears and tells him the ice truck killer has struck again, and we cut to an ice hockey arena, and Dexter's excited like it was Christmas morning. We see the chunks of body parts laid out in one of the goals, all wrapped up except for the head placed carefully on top. Dexter's in awe, calling it a stunning miracle on ice. It's quite disturbing how he's here to help investigate a terrible crime, yet inside he's elated by what he's seeing. And you wonder how serious he is about helping the investigation when he's so fascinated and excited by the killer's work. The MO looks the same and Batista asks Dexter what he thinks. Dexter says the killer is increasing his thrill, showing off what he can do, using the arena as a way of showing the whole of Miami what he's capable of. This body is missing its fingertips, and they deduce that it must be the owner of the frozen-in-ice fingertips they found before, belonging to another prostitute, who they name as Cherry Taylor. Deb shows up, all excited that she's on her first homicide case, but her face falls when she recognises the dead girl is someone she knew from when she was working undercover for Vice. Deb's visibly shaken because they had a friendship going. Dexter offers her a hug but gets brushed off in no uncertain terms. Deb goes over to join Dokes and LaGuerta up in the stands. He's been checking the CCTV footage and finds one tape is missing. Crucially, of course, it's the one from the camera watching the ice. Turns out the night watchman is missing and LaGuerta makes him a suspect. However, Deb has her own theory. Unless the ice truck killer abducted him to gain entry into the arena. Your brother help you out with that logic? The night watchman could have just been at the wrong place at the wrong time. That's why we need to get to his apartment and see what we can find. Actually, I was hoping I could hit Kyocho, talk to my old contacts. I thought you wanted to get out of the vice. Isn't that what you cried to the captain last week? Yeah, I mean, I didn't cry. Listen, my girls know this victim, okay? They may have information that could help us. No, I want you to work with Dokes. Maria, she has contacts. You still got your tube top? And my nipple clamps. Don't come back without any information. Even when she has to give in, she still manages to have a dig. LaGuerta really comes across as a prized bitch. So again, we get a situation where Deb has a sensible, logical suggestion and is shot down by LaGuerta, even though the suggestion is perfectly valid. It's pathetic that LaGuerta lets her petty and low opinion of Deb to get in the way of the investigation. But luckily, Doak steps in this time, although he gets a very dirty look from LaGuerta at the end. Next, we join Dexter in a busy marketplace where he's watching Jeremy Downs. Jeremy's at a stall buying a knife. He does a few jabbing moves with it and swings around only for Dexter to catch hold of his wrist before he gets stabbed. Jeremy's surprised, and even though Dexter's cool about the near miss, he beats a hasty retreat with his new knife. 
The store owner makes conversation with Dexter, asking him what he hunts, a leading question if ever there was one. We drift to a flashback of Harry Morgan and a teenage Dexter making selections from a gun rack before going hunting together. Did you ever shoot anybody, Dad? Afraid so. Any of them die? Just one. How'd it feel to kill a guy? Not so great, Dex. When you take a man's life, you're not just killing him. You're stuffing out all the things he'll ever become. As a cop, I only fire my weapon to save a life. That's a code I live by. Killing will serve a purpose, otherwise it's just plain murder. You understand? Yeah. Here we get another little hint of the development of Dexter's code, that the killing must serve a purpose. On the hunt, Harry shoots down a deer. As they approach it, they see it's still alive. Harry gives Dexter a knife, telling him that, for now, this is how they'll control Dexter's urges. It's completely clear that Harry realises the darkness within this young man. It must surely disturb him, but as if, as his father, OK, maybe adopted father, but he's dedicated to helping him channel this darkness in a controlled way and keep Dexter out of trouble. It's perhaps a sign of how much love Harry had for Dexter, or maybe there's some other reason or motivation that we've not seen yet. Whether there is or not, I like to think that Harry's affection for Dexter is the main reason. In the next scene, we see Carlos Guerrero at a party celebrating his daughter's confirmation. Dokes turns up looking determined. Remember that Guerrero is behind the murder of Ricky and Cara Simmons and Dokes was having an affair with Cara. At the party, Dokes starts asking questions of Guerrero's daughter and Guerrero quickly steps in. They have an exchange, but really, Dokes is just making it clear that he's on his case and is prepared to cross the line if need be. Next, we join Deb out on the street. She goes to have a chat with some of the hookers she's used to hang, she used to hang around with when she was undercover vice. Obviously, the news that she's actually a cop comes as something of a surprise, and quite amusingly, one of the prostitutes beats a hasty retreat. They give her some shit about being a police officer, but they come round when she tells them about the ice truck killer getting Cherry. Deb's looking for a lead, and one of the girls gives her one. She describes the car she last saw Cherry getting into, a wood-panelled station wagon. Deb later runs this through the computer and finds that the missing night watchman does not own a station wagon, and this is the man LaGuerta wants to label as suspect number one. It's not conclusive, but it's something against the night watchman being the killer. The next day, Rita calls Dexter about social services, who are visiting her house later on. She's not sure if she'll make it home in time to let them in, but Dexter assures her he'll be there. It's only a brief conversation, but it's nice how Dexter's happy to offer help without hesitation. We then cut to a briefing at the police station. The night watchman from the arena is still missing, but they've searched his apartment and have found the missing surveillance tape. On the screen, we see someone arranging the body parts on the ice rink. It's confirmed that this is Tony Tucci, the missing night watchman. LaGuerta also reveals that Tucci has a criminal record, having pulled a knife at a party once. It's clear from Dexter's expression what he thinks of this little fact, and whether, it's, whether it makes Tucci a suspect. And so LaGuerta declares Tucci to the room as the ice truck killer. Deb looks disgusted and asks if Tucci drives a station wagon. 
already knowing the answer herself. She mentions the lead she got about Cherry being seen getting in one the night she was murdered. And naturally, LaGuerta dismisses, dismisses this in typically patronising fashion. I found this a bit annoying as a viewer, and it's a cliché of many police shows and films that you get the young detective with all the promise who has all the right ideas but their superior won't listen or won't take them seriously. It's also a bit unbelievable that a police lieutenant would take such a trivial offence as carrying a knife at a party as supporting evidence that that person could be capable of practically surgically dismembering several women. It suits the plot of the show, but I find it a little too convenient to pigeonhole this character as such an ignorant, arrogant and dismissive detective. That said, she's keen to put this case to bed, and you can't altogether blame her for pursuing the only suspect they've got. They're desperate for a suspect, aren't they? Desperate for progress, even if she's doing it on circumstantial and tenuous evidence. The briefing ends, and Deb turns to Dexter and Batista. Doesn't make sense. After being so careful for so long, why would he leave recorded evidence? Of course, I agree with my sister, but unlike her, I'm not upset. He's still out there, and I'm waiting, breathless. We cut to Rita's house, where Dex is showing the social worker back to her car. She looks a lot like Rita, actually, with blonde hair pulled back into a ponytail, but that's by the by. The woman tells Dexter that she thinks Rita's doing an excellent job, but that it's routine to keep an eye on domestic violence cases, just make sure everything's okay. Dexter tells her that he was adopted by a loving family and his foster father understood his special needs. The social worker tells him he's lucky. Rita arrives and goes inside with the social worker, leaving Dexter outside to contemplate whether he is lucky. He muses how he is lucky and that without the code of Harry, he'd have surely committed a senseless murder in his youth, just to watch the the blood flow. Disturbing, but I think this is another direct reference to Harry's code something we've yet to hear fully defined in the show. We cut to a flashback of a young Deb and Dexter standing over Harry in a hospital bed, close to death it seems. Harry addresses Dexter, and his words are chilling. When I'm gone, I won't be able to stop you from being who you are. Sooner or later, you'll need to do it. Do what? Just remember our lessons. What lesson? What are you talking about? I can't make it without you. Yes, you can. You feel like you're slipping. Lean on your sister. She'll keep you connected. (laughs) Debbie's confused, but Dexter knows exactly what Harry's referring to and looks afraid at being left alone alone in that only Harry understands him. It maybe goes some way to showing how Dexter is so close to Deb these days. Despite his struggle to behave like a conventional human being, he's managed to form a close bond with his foster sister. Next, we join Deb and Batista, studying the CCTV footage from the ice arena. They talk about the forensic results, showing the body parts having been preserved in liquid nitrogen like the other victims. Batista mentions how you have to be a lab rat to know how to mess around with that stuff and Tucci was certainly no lab rat, he didn't even pass high school chemistry. Also as they watch the video they see Tucci seeming to be taking direction from someone off camera. Deb and Batista are convinced Tucci is not the killer. They both take a bit of pleasure from knowing how pissed off LaGuerta is going to be. We join Dexter watching Jeremy Downs leaving a halfway house with another boy. He follows them to a park where he watches them disappear into some private property. 
Downs with the knife in his back pocket. Dexter believes Jeremy plans to repeat his first murder. Ritualise it. We follow the two boys into the swamp. Seems like they're going to go under the pretense of going to see an alligator. They reach the supposed place, but the other boy realises that there is no alligator. There's a pregnant pause before Jeremy starts to draw the knife, but suddenly Dexter enters the clearing and spooks them. They run off and Dexter's left alone before an alligator lunges at him. There was one after all, and it scares the shit out of him and he runs off, bumping into things on the way. Dexter's surprised at his actions intervening when he could have been all cosy at home planning his attack We are on uh, Jeremy, we assume. But instead, he acted like a human, trying to save someone's life. He's annoyed and perhaps puzzled by himself, but at least he now knows what Jeremy is and what he now needs to do. Flashback again, and we see Harry still in the hospital bed as the nurse draws up an injection. The nurse here is played by Denise Crosby, who's something of a veteran of TV and film, but is maybe best known for playing Tasha Yar in Star Trek The Next Generation. Harry doesn't want the jab, and Dexter grabs her wrist to stop her. She's not pleased at not being allowed to administer the injection. When she's gone, Harry turns to Dexter, and interestingly, he's recognised something in her, something Dexter also spots. She's like me, he says. Harry says she gives him too much morphine, plus something else in it, and he's realised that she's killing him and others in the hospital. Stop her. What do you mean, stop her? It's time. Before she hurts anyone else. This is a fascinating and pivotal moment for Dexter. Harry had previously been channelling Dexter to control his urges by targeting animals, and now he's essentially asking him to murder a human being. OK, it's to protect Harry and countless others, but it's still a crucial moment. But we quickly cut away to present day, and Deb is talking to Captain Matthews, uh, talking him through their findings about Tony Tucci. It's worth just mentioning here that Tucci's played by Brad William Henke, if I've pronounced that surname correctly. He played Bram in Lost. Much more of a bit part in this episode, though. Bit part. Get it? Bit part? Laying out bits of a body? (sighs) While Matthews is intrigued, he's annoyed that Deb can't follow the chain of command and give her findings straight to LaGuerta. He tells her that her father would never have been pulled sorry never have pulled that kind of stunt and it's this fact that I think stings Deb more than being scolded by the captain despite this though Matthews goes to Laguerta himself and talks to her about Deb's findings and how they cast doubt on the manhunt for Tucci he tells her it would be foolish to ignore the work of a promising officer just to further her own political career it's encouraging that Matthews isn't a blinkered man and doesn't pussyfoot around, giving LaGuerta a bit of a reality check. The inference is that the press helped her to get where she is, despite only being an average detective. This gives us a little insight into why she puts Deb down like she does. She does feel threatened by her, presumably feeling she has more talent and promise as a detective. The captain allows LaGuerta to go ahead with her press conference but is clearly sceptical about Tucci's guilt. Later that day, we get another glimpse of how well Dexter gets on with children, or at the very least, Rita's children, when he's dancing around with Aster at home. They have a very sweet conversation about getting a splinter out of her finger. Rita comes in serving as a distraction for Dexter then pulling out the splinter. 
Asta hugs him and Dexter muses that if he had a heart, it'd be breaking right now. It's very sweet and as a father myself, I empathise entirely with how it feels to comfort your child when they're hurt. Nice moment for Dexter. That night, we joined Oaks in the car with three other cops. He thought they were all going for a drink, but the driver says they're going to blow off some steam. The others put on masks and we get a pretty good idea of what they're intending to do. Dokes isn't happy, though, and to his credit, tries to dissuade them. He says that he showed his face to Guerrero at that party earlier. People saw him. If they go and beat him up, Dokes will be in the frame. Turns out, this was their intention because he was sleeping with another cop's wife, Cara Simmons, that is, and they planned to drop him in it all along. They barge into the house, leaving Dokes a bit panicked and running away down the street. We cut to the games room at the halfway house, where Jeremy Downs is playing a video game. The lights go out and Dexter charges towards him out of the darkness, armed with his now trademark syringe. But his plan to kill doesn't quite play out. You're mine now. What do you want? The silence. You're gonna fuck me, faggot, because I killed the last guy who raped me. What guy? He raped you. The guy you killed when you were 15. Why don't you tell anybody? Would you? He fucked me, and I killed him, and Futra will kill you too. I understand now. Why didn't I see it before? Jeremy didn't murder that boy four years ago. He was taking out the garbage. Just like I do. It's a fascinating moment. How can Dexter make a hypocrite of himself by killing Jeremy when they are arguably doing the same thing, or at least a similar thing? But before he goes, Dexter gives the kid a little advice. He says that the boy he killed deserved it, but the boy in the swamp the other day didn't. He suggests that Jeremy remembers that because it could save his life one day. I'm not sure that Jeremy realised just how close he was to dying there. He obviously thought Dexter's motivation was sexual to begin with, but he must now be thinking, who the hell is this guy? Next, it's flashback time again, and Nurse Death has returned home, and she's calling out for Mr Tinker, presumably a cat, although when she first calls out, I wondered for a moment if she was visiting a patient. She goes through some doors, and she's greeted by a bedroom enshrouded in plastic. Dexter appears in a plastic overall, holding a syringe, and the two tussle around before Dexter knocks her unconscious with a punch. His voiceover muses how things were pretty messy in the early days, but hey, perfecting a craft takes time, right? I love the line where he says those who witnessed his early stumbles never had a chance to tell. Nurse Death wakes to find herself cellophane naked to a table, a gag in her mouth. Dexter's found a photo album and it turns out the nurse keeps a nice gallery of newspaper clippings, obituaries and news reports of all the people she's killed. Quite the prolific murderess, it seems. Michael C. Hall's performance is interesting here, not to mention his hair. I'm not sure how old Dexter's meant to be in this flashback, late teens maybe, but his physique is obviously that of an older man, but he adopts quite an amusing, almost gormless expression with his tongue half out as he approaches the shrink-wrapped nurse. His body language is slow, almost unsure, feeling his way into this monumental moment. It's not the best example of a grown man playing a teenager, but there are good aspects to the performance in this scene. However, I'm taking nothing away from Hall's performance as adult Dexter. He's been perfectly measured so far and continues to go from strength to strength throughout the coming seasons. 
To say this is Dexter's first human victim, and despite evidence of inexperience, he's pretty bloody cold in this scene. The nurse claims she was helping them, taking their pain away. Dexter's inexperience doesn't bring with it any hesitation or wavering from his purpose, and when he takes a knife and stabs the nurse, the only thing that surprises him is the amount of blood. It's quite funny how he pulls up his plastic hood and draws the string so it sort of closes around his face to protect him from the blood spatter. But it's not perfect, and and he spits out a, a little bit of it while Mr Tinker watches and purrs from a distance. Dumb moggy. Actually, I am a cat lover, but it's offensive sometimes how indifferent cats can be. The flashback cuts to the hospital where we learn that Harry lived for just another year before hardening arteries took their toll. Dexter's subsequent voiceover accompanies a short montage of images, including Dokes getting threatened from a distance by a Hispanic man holding up a mask. LaGuerta off duty. We see her enjoying herself while her press conference plays on the TV, contrasting on and off duty LaGuerta. Dexter talks about how Harry's lessons have never failed him, and that we must keep up appearances to survive. This last comment accompanied the image of LaGuerta, Dexter's words clearly applying to both of them. We see Rita watering her garden and her children attending a lemonade store. But there was something Harry didn't teach me. Something he didn't know, couldn't possibly know. The willful taking of life represents the ultimate disconnect from humanity. It leaves you an outsider, forever looking in, searching for company to keep. Dexter then rolls up in a red convertible, whose previous owner was quite probably a gangbanger. He says he borrowed it from a police impound until Rita gets her own new car. His voiceover says that you have to play along at life, hoping sometimes you get it right. In the car, Rita smiles and says thanks, and Dexter knows this is one of those times. Score one for the little wooden boy. And that's episode three. Another good, solid episode. Laying some groundwork for story arcs and characters, but moving things along fairly nicely for our main storylines. The main one being the Ice Truck Killer and uh, the secondary storyline of Carlos Guerrero. The police are really no nearer to identifying the Ice Truck Killer. Although Deb's doing some good work, LaGuerta is intent on barking up the wrong tree, but playing the publicity game, making it look to the public like they have a a suspect. Dokes could be in serious bother, though. Now he's revealed his hand to Guerrero and then being royally dropped in it by fellow officers. Meanwhile, we've been seeing more of Dexter's backstory, seeing his first human kill. A huge moment for him, motivated by his desire to protect his adopted father, Harry. It's interesting that his MO of using a syringe and plastic-covered killing room remained unchanged, although the execution of the kill no pun intended, but the execution of the kill has obviously become more slick and refined as we've already seen in earlier episodes. Character-wise, we're obviously focusing on Dexter, who already should have you hooked, wanting to see where this journey takes him, and how he stays under the radar, if indeed he can. Other characters get relatively little screen time, although Rita comes across as a sweet, if damaged woman, vulnerable, and appreciating Dexter's understanding although not realising anything about the darkness within him. Dexter's relationship with Rita's children remains to be fascinating. He really seems to be at ease with them, 
Maybe their relatively undeveloped emotions make it easier for him to identify and communicate with them. Although I dare say I've probably mentioned that before on this podcast. We've not seen much of Masuka or Batista yet, but both are coming across as likeable, while Dokes, who is obviously suspicious of and uh, rude to Dexter, but he seems a very capable detective and and honourable. Unlike LaGuerta, who's playing the bitch to Deb and plays her own game, has her own agenda and uh, generally doesn't seem very likeable yet. We'll see if she comes around. As for Deb, she's evidently enthusiastic and capable, with great potential as a detective. She seems to be the only one with a serious handle on the ice truck killer case. Will she be the one to eventually break the case? Next time on Dissecting Dexter. We're a quarter of the way through the season now, on the cusp of the end of the first act. We'll see whether this is the case next episode, which is entitled Let's Give the Boy a Hand. If the three-act rule applies to Dexter, we should see something fairly big happen next time as the first act winds up. So that about wraps us up for this episode of Dissecting Dexter. I must admit it's fun re-watching season one and remembering how I felt first time round, being enthralled by this show that offered something quite different to other shows I've been watching on TV. This central character, he's so engrossing and addictive. I hope you're finding the same thing. As I said at the start, if you want to send in any comments on Dexter, the next episode, let's give the boy a hand, or maybe even comments on the podcast itself, you can get in touch via email, dissectingdexter, or one word, dissectingdexter at gmail.com. Or you can contact us on Twitter by following at dissectdexter. Okay, that's it for now. Hopefully this one will come in a bit shorter than the last two. If not, I'll have to make every effort to trim the detail a bit more for next time. It's such a fine balance to get it right. Okay, well, thanks very much for listening and for the nice feedback I'm getting on Twitter. Much appreciated. Take care, and I'll speak to you soon.